section twenty two of england scotland ireland and wales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world's story volume ten england scotland ireland and wales edited by eva march tappan section twenty two the government in quest of a poet by william makepeace thackeray in seventeen o four the government set out in quest of a poet to compose a poem on marlborough's victory at blenheim some one recommended a young man named joseph addison and he was chosen in the poem which he produced there were two lines that especially delighted the government and the people in these he compared marlborough to an angel who pleased the almighty's orders to perform rides on the whirlwind and directs the storm addison was given one office after another and he won both political and literary glory in the following extract he is pictured as in the act of composing this poem the editor quitting the guard table one sunday afternoon when by chance dick footnote richard steele end of footnote had a sober fit upon him he and his friend were making their way down germain street and dick all of a sudden left his companion's arm and ran after a gentleman who was poring over a folio volume at the bookshop near st james's church he was a fair tall man in a snuff-coloured suit with a plain sword very sober and almost shabby in appearance at least when compared to captain steele who loved to adorn his jolly round person with the finest of clothes and shone in scarlet and gold lace the captain rushed up then to the student of the bookstall took him in his arms hugged him and would have kissed him for dick was always hugging and bussing his friends but the other stepped back with a flush on his pale face seeming to decline this public manifestation of steel's regard my dearest joe where hast thou hidden thyself this age cries the captain still holding his friend's hands i have been languishing for thee this fortnight a fortnight is not an age dick says the other very good-humouredly he had light blue eyes extraordinary bright and a face perfectly regular and handsome like a tinted statue and i have been hiding myself where do you think what not across the water my dear joe says steele with a look of great alarm thou knowest i have always no says his friend interrupting him with a smile we are not come to such straits as that dick i have been hiding sir at a place where people never think of finding you at my own lodgings whither i am going to smoke a pipe now and drink a glass of sack will your honour come harry esmond come hither cries out dick thou hast heard me talk over and over again of my dearest joe my guardian angel indeed says mr esmond with a bow it is not from you only that i have learned to admire mr addison we loved good poetry at cambridge as well as at oxford and i have some of yours by heart though i have put on a red coat o qui canoro blandius orfeo vocale ducis carmen 
shall i go on sir says mr esmond who indeed had read and loved the charming latin poems of mr addison as every scholar of that time knew and admired them this is captain esmond who was at blenheim says steele lieutenant esmond says the other with a low bow at mr addison's service i have heard of you says mr addison with a smile as indeed everybody about town had heard that unlucky story about esmond's dowager aunt and the duchess we were going to the george to take a bottle before the play says steele wilt thou be one joe mr addison said his own lodgings were hard by where he was still rich enough to give a good bottle of wine to his friends and invited the two gentlemen to his apartment in the haymarket whither we accordingly went i shall get credit with my landlady says he with a smile when she sees two such fine gentlemen as you come up my stair and he politely made his visitors welcome to his apartment which was indeed but a shabby one though no grandee of the land could receive his guests with a more perfect and courtly grace than this gentleman a frugal dinner consisting of a slice of meat and a penny loaf was awaiting the owner of the lodgings my wine is better than my meat says mr addison my lord halifax sent me the burgundy and he set a bottle and glasses before his friends and ate his simple dinner in a very few minutes after which the three fell to and began to drink you see says mr addison pointing to his writing-table whereon was a map of the action at hochstedt and several other gazettes and pamphlets relating to the battle that i too am busy about your affairs captain i am engaged as a poetical gazetteer to say truth and am writing a poem on the campaign so esmond at the request of the host told him what he knew about the famous battle drew the river on the table aliquo marrow footnote with a little wine end of footnote and with the aid of some bits of tobacco pipe showed the advance of the left wing where he had been engaged a sheet or two of the verses lay already on the table beside our bottles and glasses and dick having plentifully refreshed himself from the latter took up the pages of manuscript writ out with scarce a blot or correction in the author's slim neat handwriting and began to read therefrom with great emphasis and volubility at pauses of the verse the enthusiastic reader stopped and fired off a great salvo of applause esmond smiled at the enthusiasm of addison's friend you are like the german burghers says he and the princes on the moselle when our army came to a halt they always sent a deputation to compliment the chief and fired a salute with all their artillery from their walls and drunk the great chief's health afterward did not they says captain steele gaily filling up a bumper he never was tardy at that sort of acknowledgment of a friend's merit and the duke since you will have me act his grace's part says mr addison with a smile and something of a blush pledged his friends in return most serene elector of covent garden i drink to your highness's health and he filled himself a glass joseph required scarce more pressing than dick to that sort of amusement 
but the wine never seemed at all to fluster mr addison's brains it only unloosed his tongue whereas captain steele's head and speech were quite overcome by a single bottle no matter what the verses were and to say truth mr esmond found some of them more than indifferent dick's enthusiasm for his chief never faltered and in every line from addison's pen steele found a master-stroke by the time dick had come to that part of the poem wherein the bard describes as blandly as though he were recording a dance at the opera or a harmless bout of bucolic cudgelling at a village fair that bloody and ruthless part of our campaign with the remembrance whereof every soldier who bore a part in it must sicken with shame when we were ordered to ravage and lay waste the elector's country and with fire and murder slaughter and crime a great part of his dominion was overrun when dick came to the lines in vengeance roused the soldier fills his hand with sword and fire and ravages the land in crackling flames a thousand harvests burn a thousand villages to ashes turn to the thick woods the woolly flocks retreat and mixed with bellowing herds confusedly bleat their trembling lords the common shade partake and cries of infants sound in every break the listening soldier fixed in sorrow stands loath to obey his leader's just commands the leader grieves by generous pity swayed to see his just commands so well obeyed by this time wine and friendship had brought poor dick to a perfectly maudlin state and he hiccuped out the last line with a tenderness that set one of his auditors a-laughing i admire the license of your poets says esmond to mr addison dick after reading of the verses was fain to go off insisting on kissing his two dear friends before his departure and reeling away with his periwig over his eyes i admire your art the murder of the campaign is done to military music like a battle at the opera and the virgins shriek in harmony as our victorious grenadiers march into their villages do you know what a scene it was by this time perhaps the wine had warmed mr esmond's head too what a triumph you are celebrating what scenes of shame and horror were enacted over which the commander's genius presided as calm as though he didn't belong to our sphere you talk of the listening soldier fixed in sorrow the leader's grief swayed by generous pity to my belief the leader cared no more for bleeding flocks than he did for infants cries and many of our ruffians butchered one or the other with equal alacrity i was ashamed of my trade when i saw those horrors perpetrated which came under every man's eyes you hew out of your polished verses a stately image of smiling victory i tell you tis an uncouth distorted savage idol hideous bloody and barbarous the rites performed before it are shocking to think of you great poets should show it as it is ugly and horrible not beautiful and serene oh sir had you made the campaign believe me you would never have sung it so during this little outbreak mr addison was listening 
smoking out of his long pipe and smiling very placidly what would you have says he in our polished days and according to the rules of art tis impossible that the muse should depict tortures or begrime her hands with the horrors of war these are indicated rather than described as in the greek tragedies that i dare say you have read and sure there can be no more elegant specimens of composition agamemnon is slain or medea's children destroyed away from the scene the chorus occupying the stage and singing of the action to pathetic music something of this i attempt my dear sir in my humble way tis a panegyric i mean to write and not a satire were i to sing as you would have me the town would tear the poet in pieces and burn his book by the hands of the common hangman do you not use tobacco of all the weeds grown on earth sure the nicotine is the most soothing and salutary we must paint our great duke mr addison went on not as a man which no doubt he is with weaknesses like the rest of us but as a hero tis in a triumph not a battle that your humble servant is riding his sleek pegasus we college poets trot you know on very easy nags it hath been time out of mind part of the poet's profession to celebrate the actions of heroes in verse and to sing the deeds which you men of war perform i must follow the rules of my art and the composition of such a strain as this must be harmonious and majestic not familiar or too near the vulgar truth see parwa licket footnote see parwa licket componere magnus if it is allowable to compare small things with great End of footnote. if virgil could invoke the divine augustus a humbler poet from the banks of the isis may celebrate a victory and a conqueror of our own nation in whose triumphs every briton has a share and whose glory and genius contributes to every citizen's individual honour when hath there been since our henry's and edward's days such a great feat of arms as that from which you yourself have brought away marks of distinction if tis in my power to sing that song worthily i will do so and be thankful to my muse if i fail as a poet as a briton at least i will show my loyalty and fling up my cap and huzza for the conqueror reni pacator et istri omnis in hoc uno varius discordia cessit ordinibus laetatur equus plauditque senator votaque patricio certant plebia favori there were as brave men on that field says mr esmond who never could be made to love the duke of marlborough nor to forget those stories which he used to hear in his youth regarding that great chief's selfishness and treachery there were men at blenheim as good as the leader whom neither knights nor senators applauded nor voices plebeian favoured and who lie there forgotten under the clods what poet is there to sing them to sing the gallant souls of heroes sent to hades says mr addison with a smile would you celebrate them all if i may venture to question anything in such an admirable work the catalogue of the ships in homer hath always appeared to me as somewhat wearisome 
what had the poem been supposing the writer had chronicled the names of captains lieutenants rank and file one of the greatest of a man's qualities is success tis the result of all the others tis a latent power in him which compels the favour of the gods and subjugates fortune of all his gifts i admire that one in the great marlborough to be brave every man is brave but in being victorious as he is i fancy there is something divine in presence of the occasion the great soul of the leader shines out and the god is confessed death itself respects him and passes by him to lay others low war and carnage flee before him to ravage other parts of the field as hector from before the divine achilles you say he hath no pity no more have the gods who are above it and superhuman the fainting battle gathers strength at his aspect and wherever he rides victory charges with him a couple of days after when mr esmond revisited his poetic friend he found this thought struck out in the fervour of conversation improved and shaped into those famous lines which are in truth the noblest in the poem of the campaign as the two gentlemen sat engaged in talk mr addison solacing himself with his customary pipe the little maid-servant that waited on his lodging came up preceding a gentleman in fine laced clothes that had evidently been figuring at court or a great man's levee the courtier coughed a little at the smoke of the pipe and looked round the room curiously which was shabby enough as was the owner in his worn snuff-coloured suit and plain tie-wig how goes on the magnum opus mr addison says the court gentleman on looking down at the papers that were on the table we were but now over it says addison the greatest courtier in the land could not have had a more splendid politeness or greater dignity of manner here is the plan says he on the table hoc ibit simois footnote there flowed the simois into footnote here ran the little river nebel hic est sigian tellus footnote here is the sigian country and a footnote here are towler's quarters at the bowl of this pipe at the attack of which captain esmond was present i have the honour to introduce him to mr boyle and mr esmond was but now depicting a liquo prelia mixta marrow when you came in in truth the two gentlemen had been so engaged when the visitor arrived and addison in his smiling way speaking of mr webb colonel of esmond's regiment who commanded a brigade in the action and greatly distinguished himself there was lamenting that he could find never a suitable rhyme for webb otherwise the brigade should have had a place in the poet's verses and for you you are but a lieutenant says addison and the muse can't occupy herself with any gentleman under the rank of a field officer mr boyle was all impatient to hear saying that my lord treasurer and my lord halifax were equally anxious and addison blushing began reading of his verses and i suspect knew their weak parts as well as the most critical hearer when he came to the lines describing the angel that inspired repulsed battalions to engage and taught the doubtful battle where to rage he read with great animation 
looking at esmond as much as to say you know where that simile came from from our talk and our bottle of burgundy the other day the poet's two hearers were caught with enthusiasm and applauded the verses with all their might the gentlemen of the court sprang up in great delight not a word more my dear sir says he trust me with the papers i'll defend them with my life let me read them over to my lord treasurer whom i am appointed to see in half an hour i venture to promise the verses shall lose nothing by my reading and then sir we shall see whether lord halifax has a right to complain that his friend's pension is no longer paid and without more ado the courtier in lace seized the manuscript pages placed them in his breast with his ruffled hand over his heart executed a most gracious wave of the hat with the disengaged hand and smiled and bowed out of the room leaving an odour of pomander behind him does not the chamber look quite dark says addison surveying it after the glorious appearance and disappearance of that gracious messenger why he illuminated the whole room your scarlet mr esmond will bear any light but this threadbare old coat of mine how very worn it looked under the glare of that splendour i wonder whether they will do anything for me he continued when i came out of oxford into the world my patrons promised me great things and you see where their promises have landed me in a lodging up two pairs of stairs with a sixpenny dinner from the cook's shop well i suppose this promise will go after the others and fortune will jilt me as the jade has been doing any time these seven years i puff the prostitute away says he smiling and blowing a cloud out of his pipe there is no hardship in poverty esmond that is not bearable no hardship even in honest dependence that an honest man may not put up with i came out of the lap of alma mater puffed up with her praises of me and thinking to make a figure in the world with the parts and learning which had got me no small name in our college the world is the ocean and isis and charwell are but little drops of which the sea takes no account my reputation ended a mile beyond maudlin tower no one took note of me and i learned this at least to bear up against evil fortune with a cheerful heart friend dick hath made a figure in the world and has passed me in the race long ago what matters a little name or a little fortune there is no fortune that a philosopher cannot endure i have been not unknown as a scholar and yet forced to live by turning bear leader and teaching a boy to spell what then the life was not pleasant but possible the bear was bearable should this venture fail i will go back to oxford and some day when you are a general you shall find me a curate in a cassock and bands and i shall welcome your honour to my cottage in the country and to a mug of penny ale tis not poverty that's the hardest to bear or the least happy lot in life says mr addison shaking the ash out of his pipe see my pipe is smoked out shall we have another bottle i have still a couple in the cupboard and of the right sort no more let us go abroad and take a turn on the mall or look in at the theatre and see dick's comedy tis not a masterpiece of wit but dick is a good fellow though he doth not set the thames on fire within a month after this day mr addison's ticket had come up a prodigious prize 
in the lottery of life all the town was in an uproar of admiration of his poem the campaign which dick steele was spouting at every coffee-house in whitehall and covent garden the wits on the other side of temple bar saluted him at once as the greatest poet the world had seen for ages the people huzzahed for marlborough and for addison and more than this the party in power provided for the meritorious poet and mr addison got the appointment of commissioner of excise which the famous mr locke vacated and rose from this place to other dignities and honours his prosperity from henceforth to the end of his life being scarce even interrupted but i doubt whether he was not happier in his garret in the haymarket than ever he was in his splendid palace at kensington end of section twenty two this recording is in the public domain